Hey everybody, Sean Francis here. Um, as these podcasts keep going on, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I get better at them. <laughs> I'm noticing um, some restrictions within myself and some things I need to work on and some judgy negative thoughts <laughs> that are coming from re rewatching these. Um, I feel like my brain just goes really fast when I'm trying to have this conversation. I got Maybe I got to be a better listener. Hmm, that might be it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this week we talk with Dr. I don't know if she's a doctor. I keep saying doctor, but I don't think she... I, I'm having a conversation with Judith Rush. She is the Director of Mentor Externship in the University St. Thomas School of Law. And she blew my mind a few years ago when she was talking about uh, how law students and the law profession as a whole has a huge mental health problem that I was unaware of because they always look so calm, cool, and collect you know, when, when they're presenting, or maybe that's just TV. Maybe, maybe they're not all like that. But um, I haven't been to, uh, I haven't been in court too many times. So maybe my view of the law world is very skewed. <laughs> Hopefully I don't end up in court for whatever reason. Anyways, she, um, she explained to me how addiction, you know, suicide, mental health, uh, all of these types of things to cope with the stress of being in law. And, and in this profession is extremely damaging for a lot of kids and not just kids, but people in general and how the statistics are, are just not good, uh, for for, uh, yeah, for people in this profession. And so we had a, we had a great conversation and it all started a few years ago when my mom and I went to the school of law of St. Thomas and we brought puppies and pigs to try and cheer up the, <laughs> cheer up the students. And that's where I met Judith, and she just told me that this was the first time she saw these students smile in months, just because of the the school load, the competition between students, and how difficult it is to pass the bar, and amongst other things. And we had a delightful conversation about all of these things and what they're doing at this University of St. Thomas to um, kind of combat these things that the students are going through. So... Another layer peeled back on uh, mental health. You know, as I've said a million times, mental health is a skeleton that's in everyone's closet. And the more people, and the more closets we open, <laughs> the more we can see the the full capacity of what mental health is. What meant? I, I keep saying it's mental health, but it's like it's kind of like a mental illness or these barriers. What these barriers are doing to us as a whole. So it is with my further ado to present Judith Rush. Confucius said we have two lives, and the second begins when we realize that we only have one. We're all given one whole life. And when we find and break the barriers that are preventing us from living fully, we have an audacious attempt to improve mental health. One Whole Life with Sean Francis. If you're cool, I'd like to start with like how we met. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Which is kind of which is kind of funny because like I it was over a potbelly pig if I remember correctly. My mom brought um, yeah. some puppies and Hamilton, our potbelly pig, to St. Oh. Thomas Law, and and what what pops out the the story that always pops into my head is we lost Hamilton for like five to ten minutes. We didn't know where this little potbelly pig went. And then we found him behind a table eating all the leftover pizza that was for the, <laughs> the law students, <laughs> which 
It's like it's I like that memory a lot. But what I, what I also remember the second part is how you were telling me this was the first time you've seen these law students smile maybe in the the whole semester just playing with these puppies and pigs. And so if, if you could can you like talk why we, or explain why we had pigs and puppies <laughs> at the law school? Sure. So we had pigs, puppies and pizza, pizza. in Portland. Yes. Yeah. And Hamilton appreciated that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you were, well, you came in at a, at a great time. Um, you came in during wellness week. Um, and, you know, that's an opportunity for our wellness and practice group to put on activities all week that highlight wellness and just are plain fun um, to get students kind of out of their shells. And um, it's part of, a na- there's a national uh, movement in in lawyer assistance, law, law student assistance in particular, to have a law student mental health day that happens every year in October. Um, but we here at St. Thomas, as long as we've had a student um, organization called Wellness and Practice, we've put together a whole week of activities uh, just to get students engaged. Um, you know, being in a law school where we have um, students who are their first year, second year, and third year students, um, the First year students tend to be around the building all the time. Um, the upper level students pretty quickly figure out a way not to be around here, at least on Fridays. Um, <laughs> this has all changed, of course, under, under the pandemic. But the idea was to, by having a whole week's worth of activities, um, everyone would have an opportunity to engage, um, regardless of level, regardless of their schedules, um, because it's just it's important. You know, students are law students are serious folks. I mean, they spend a lot of time, you know, studying and being in class where they're essentially performing in a way. I mean, they're always feeling like they're on um, and they need to be on, on top of their stuff. And so it's hard for them to give themselves permission to to just have fun. So um, what, what's what's the difference between just like a normal because I, I looked in your background, you you taught um, at Hamlin for a few years and then. Um, you, you had your own practice. You, you seem to have uh, your fingers in just about everything law <laughs> when, I, when I looked at it. And so what, what's the difference between like a law student versus just an everyday ordinary student, like the stresses that they go through that are different than somebody, you know, maybe in a business program? Okay. Well, um, you know, first of all, I think all of our students come in, um, they're very high functioning people. Um, They are very accomplished. Um, So, you know, I think in any given setting, whether it's high school or college or, um, or most settings, other than maybe, you know, law school and, and, and med school, you just have a great variety of, of people um, from all different backgrounds and um, and varying levels of, you know, grades, right? And being exceptional, like our law students are, very accomplished. They come in um, having been at the top of the class throughout their, you know, who knows, from kindergarten on. Um, and it's really, it's part of their identity. I mean, they're just, they're used to being able to get stuff. They get it quick. Um, you know, they don't necessarily make a big deal of it, but they are, they are the overachievers. They are out there leading student organizations, even as you know, even in high school and and, yeah. and college. Um, and so they come here and they are now in the same setting as all of the other high achievers. Um, you know, basically, 
our law students are all from the top of their classes and they come in and law school is the first time that they're actually feeling like they might not be at the top of the class and they're worried about it. And I, and, you know, I think they get over, um, you know, there's just, there's, there's just something that happens when, when you come to law school, you start to hear these myths and um, they're, very widely held beliefs, but they are myths about what you need to do to be successful as a lawyer, um, what you need to do to, to get a job, to get the job you want, even if it isn't the job you thought you want when you when you showed up um, here. Um, and it has a way of, of truly um, kind of changing your, your, your life's map when you're here in law school in a way that I think doesn't happen in, in other settings. So um, one of the things that happens is you're here um, to learn to think like a lawyer. And that process involves a pretty intense classroom experience um, where you're called upon to recite, to express, you know, to indicate your knowledge of what you read, um, to respond to the professor's um, questions in a way that you just haven't ever experienced before. Um, and so, um, you know, that's, and that has a result on, um, on a student's self-esteem. Um, it makes them wonder, it, you know, many times, I, I can't tell you how many students over time have told me, you know, they really thought they were the, they're the only ones in the room that don't know the answer. But the reality is that none of them know the answer because they haven't gone to law school before and they're not used to, to thinking, you know, using this doctrinal approach and um, separating out what they think and feel from what they're learning. So it's, it's really, it's an, it's a, an experience that can be very jarring for many students. Um, it feels very competitive. I think St. Thomas has an environment. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, I've been at Hamlin, I taught at Hamlin, I taught at Mitchell, which are now combined. Um, and, and I've been here and our environment is different. It's a, hot, a whole lot more collegial and supportive. Um, I, you know, when students have difficulty, um, a death in the family or a medical thing or whatever it is, um, our students are very supportive of each other um, and tend not to be quite as um, cutthroat as in some in other places, not necessarily, you know, of course we're all Minnesota nice here. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but even at, even at Hamlin or at, at Mitchell, you'd hear about competitive activities like people cutting. This is, this is old school. Yeah. But back in the day, we had these things called books that you had to open up and there were case case books and there were um, cases in there and all of the students were doing legal writing in legal writing had to find these cases and use these cases. Well, people would cut the case out of the book. I mean, wow. That's a kind of a, and you don't, yeah. you don't really see that sort of behavior um, as much, but it's still, it's undeniably a very jarring, um, stressful, anxiety producing experience. Is this like a law student? Is this, so what what makes it competitive? Is there only a certain number of spots? Like we're, I know, um, like I was at NDSU and the nursing program only had a certain amount of spots. You could move on to the next phase. Is that what happens there too? Or is it based on just internal, I need to be 
perfect, the best, like what, what's, is it both? Well, there's a message that you get as a law student um, that says you need to have these high grades because you need to have high grades in order to, um, to get jobs in the big firms. And, um, you know, very soon start, students start to believe that the big firm is the only trajectory and that's the trajectory where the good lawyers go. Um, and you want to be one of those good lawyers. And I know I'm overstating it a little bit, but there's yeah. a, there's a, a level, I mean, this, the levels of stress that students, law students experience is not, you know, it's like three times by the time they leave law school, it's the levels of depression are three times that of the general population. Yeah, maybe that maybe that's a good. I had this in my question. She's like, "What what are the stats for law students versus like the general population?" If I don't know if you have those on hand or not, but <laughs> well, sort of just super generally because there's okay. there's definitely studies out there, and I'm not a numbers gal, but you know, generally it's about eight percent of the population um, suffers from chemical um, misuse, is what they call it, addiction, chemical okay. addiction, essentially. Um, and we've all lawyers are two to three times that have always been two to three times that in terms of both addiction as well as depression. And I think the depression rates are similar too. So, so we have 8% and then we have, you know, 24% in the, in the profession. Um, and, you know, there was an assumption that that probably carried over to law students as well. Cause where, you know, if you're 8% in the population and then, but you're a lawyer um, and you're suffering at, you know, 20, you know, 24% of lawyers are, are, are suffering, you know, where does that happen? And it happens in law school. And um, there was one study where they actually could see, you know, 8% to um, 16% to 24 between one L year and three L year. Um, and then eventually it kind of, you know, dropped off a little bit, but still as lawyers, we, you know, um, we're not, we're not very well. Um, but then there was actually a study that was done by one of our professors here, along, along with others, um, two others um, around the country. And um, they found that 50, 53% of students drank enough to get drunk in the 30 days prior to the, to the survey. So 53% of students drank enough to get drunk within the month before. I mean, that's a pretty high percentage. And, yeah. um, you know, and that's a, probably not too much different than the, um, the undergrad number. 14% um, use prescription drugs without a prescription in the prior 12 months, which is not only indicative of the need to, the felt need to do that, um, but also that they're willing to engage in, you know, um, break the law to do that. Yeah. 17% um, screen positive for depression, 37%. Um, and this was this was much higher than I think had been anticipated. Um, Thirty-seven percent screened for anxiety. Um, mm. I mean that fourteen percent severe anxiety. And those who work in law schools know that the anxiety levels are high. I mean we're not out diagnosing, you know, anxiety, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you see it. I mean these stu you know students definitely um, are incredibly anxious. Um, and then. You know, you have so you have these high levels of stress, high levels of anxiety. We have some coping, you know, alcohol used as as sort of the way to relax, unless students realize that there's there's others. 
Um, but then you have 63% um, of students are reluctant to report um, their concerns about their own um, chemical or mental health um, or concerns about others. Um, you know, and so there's a fear, there's a fear of taking care of each other, you know, sort of reporting a colleague because you have concerns and there's fear about reporting yourself um, to get the help that you need because you're worried that you might not get into the, get into the bar. Hmm. Um, and so that, and that's another, that's another myth um, because bar examiners in Minnesota and pretty consistently around the country say they want, they want lawyers who are healthy, who've taken care of, um, take, taking care of themselves and where they see students, students who have um, conduct that's of concern, like, you know, the DWIs and, and other things that indicate that they might have a problem and they've not addressed it. Those are the folks who are not as likely, you know, are likely to be held up a little bit in the process until they can get the help they need. Um, right. And so bar examiners encourage students to get the help they need, but there's still some, you know, students are, are suspicious that, you know, that that's not, um, that they say that, but they don't mean that. Um, and one of the one of the reasons for that, and I know I'm just going on, and I'm going to no, do no, I, I'm fascinated. Um, is that uh, Minnesota and most other states have questions that ask about um, certain um, mental health conditions, and um, even if you know they're not asking about mild depression, or they're not, um, they're actually asking about um, you know conduct that. Um, that resulted, or they're asking the student to, to say, have you been impaired to the extent that you wouldn't have met the qualifying criteria? I would imagine so, these are all anonymous too then, or? No. Or not. No, they're no, not. No, these are okay. you, you know, at the end of your three years of, of law school, where you're learning to think like a lawyer and, um, you know, learning the skills and, and habits of, of a good lawyer, at the end of that, you're going to have a bar exam that you need to pass if you want to practice law. Right. And as part of that process, you need to fill out this application that okay. discloses conduct um, that, you know, so they ask about illegal conduct and those sorts of things. Um, but um, most states also have a question that asks about um, certain um, mental health conditions. Um, and the fact that they still have those in their, in their um, bar exam application questions um, are, you know, they can say whatever they want about, you know, we want you to get the help you need, but there's some distrust there. And so yeah. there's a movement in the country right now. Um, I think we have three states that um, eliminated the mental health questions from their bar application process. Um, and there's a movement to try to make that happen around the country so that the focus is on conduct that is of concern um, and, uh, and not on a condition, both so, because you can't focus on a condition um, under the ADA and because it just, it makes sense to encourage um, law students who need help to get the help they need and not to keep pushing it, push, rolling, you know, pushing that down saying, okay, I'm stressed right now because I'm in law school, but as soon as I get, you know, as soon as I get through this bar exam, I'll be fine. Um, 
but you know, that, that can't be how it works though, right? Like, cause I would imagine trying to get a job and they find out you were seeing a therapist that, that would make, and I'm not, I'm not a lawyer in law school, but I would think that would make someone nervous about that. Maybe getting out that maybe their mental health is at, or their, their mental capacity is at jeopardy. You know, if it's look, if it's looked at that way, or does that not exist? Well, I don't, um, luckily it's not that bad. Um, okay, I think good. What, they, what, they, <laughs> what, what law students fear are bar examiners who are going to um, maybe hold them up because they've disclosed that they've gotten treatment. Okay. Right. Um, or hold them up um, because they've, um, you know, because they've disclosed that they have one of these very serious um, mental health conditions that did impact them in a way that, if they had been practicing law, they wouldn't have been able to take care of their clients at the time, right? Yeah. Um, so that's the fear. But I, the reality of lawyers, because lawyers don't do any do much better in right. Yeah, I was going to say this, getting they, the help that they need <laughs> um, is not. It, it there is definitely a component of other people um, knowing about it. Um, you know, well, there's stigma. You know, there's yeah, stigma. that's that's why I wanted um, to have this conversation. With yeah. You and so fighting stig- stigma is important. But in the um, in the practice of law, um, you know, what we've seen is, you know, let's say a lawyer is sort of medicating using using alcohol to address um, some other issues or, or just has some mental health issues that are just not being effectively um, treated. And the um, significant other of the, that lawyer knows it and sees it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lawyer fears what's going to happen in employment, right? They need that job. Right. Um, the, the significant other fears for the same reason. Um, they worry about professional ramifications, um, you know, people not understanding, losing jobs, possibly, um, you know, uh, professional responsibility ramifications, mm-hmm. even though, again, you know, there's every incentive to get the help that you need so that you can be competent. Right. And so you can competently represent client, but there's clients, but there's just the fear of, of sort of being, you know, the stigma of, you know, having a, you know, having a health condition that happens to be, um, you know, mental health or chemical health related. Um, right. This might just going back a little bit is 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 the type of person that has these anxiety, depression, you know, um, uh, high excellence. Do they become lawyers, or is that a symptom of being in, uh, a student in the law profession, or is that just a yin and yang kind of a thing? Like it could be both. Well, I think sometimes, um, you know, sometimes you'd find that um, students who did just fine, um, you know, maybe they had some mental health concerns, some depression or, or something when they were, um, when they were in undergrad. And sometimes just the, I guess the pressure cooker that is law school um, just brings it to a different level. Um, Because I think there's a, you know, again, kind of coming back to the fact that this environment can feel very competitive. You learn early on that you probably don't want to show your underbelly, right? Right. Um, yeah, who and does? you learn right away <laughs> that scary. the answer to the question, how are you doing, is I'm good. 
especially I'm, in Minnesota. I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Um, because it's, it's really, you know, it can be really hard if you feel like, you know, you're, um, you know, that everything that you do is sort of being rated, right? You know, you got these grades that you get at the end of the first semester and, and, and you are attributing so much to those grades, you know, law students attribute so much more to those grades than, yeah. you know, than others do. Um, and it's hard for to kind of separate out the reality um, and not lose track of yourself in law school. I mean, I, it requires some effort and I think it requires some, um, a culture of wellness where you, where a law school um, and a legal employer says, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay yeah. to say that you're not okay. It's human. It is okay. And in fact, it is part of your ethical duty and your, in order to maintain your competence to get the help that you need so that you can, um, you know, so you can be a successful law student and so you can successfully serve clients. Um, and so that's what's, you know, that's what's been needed for a long time. I mean, it's a, it's a hard nut to crack, as they say, um, because there's so many other objectives of, you know, law school needs to, I mean, we need to be real about grades. We need to be able to say there are certain jobs that just use grades as a cutoff. They just do. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if those jobs are, you know, if that's really where you want to be, where you want to go, you're going to want to make sure you focus a great deal of attention on everything you knew, need to do to, to make those make those grades. But the reality, is, you know, the, num the number of, of those employers is small. So, you know, the eye of that needle is very small. Yeah. Um, and so... There's never, you know, the expectation that everyone's going to want to have those jobs. That that isn't the case. The problem is being able to to um, be able to to think as a law student about who am I, why am I here, um, what do I really want to do, and I might not know what I want to do now, but I know I'm here to learn that yeah. um, and to do the best I can. But I can't I can't risk losing myself in the process. Right. Um, so many of our students actually come in, you know, they have families, they have, um, you know, they have jobs, um, they have other things that they need to do. Um, some for some students, it's, it's a full time job, but even then it's hard. Um, especially, you know, we have students who are coming in, you know, like I said, they're all accomplished every, you know, you're not in law school if you haven't achieved, right? right? <laughs> yeah, because you're not going to put yourself here, right? Um, but there, but we all come with with different um, different experiences. So we have first generation law students, um, first generation, you know, they were first generation college students. Um, some people who've never interacted with lawyers in their life, um, many who've never been in a law firm um, or don't really know the mores and the you know the habits of of, of law. But um, and for those students, there's commonly a, a belief. Again, not justified. Yeah. Um, if you actually look at the facts, that everyone else sort of knows. Everyone else knows the answers to those questions, um, and that it's just it's so stress-inducing. Yeah. To just always think that you don't, you don't know the answer. I mean, there's a lot. Um, I mean, you come into law school to learn, and yeah, 
especially with a law school like ours, where we have a mentor program that puts students out into the field to learn these sort of, you know, these customs of lawyers, to learn how to communicate with lawyers. Um, I mean, all of that is, is part, of, part of the development, but it's um, sadly, um, it can be very um, stress inducing. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying that college is here to, to not lose yourself, to almost discover yourself in a way. And, mm-hmm. and, and um, I, I mean, I, I got my master's in, in biomechanics up at NDSU and I, I broke in grad school, you know, like I had a, I had a breakdown and, and I would imagine that happens to, you know, some students along the way too. Um, spe- it, it just kind of, it blows my mind. Um, I, I let's, let's the the sorry I'm trying to organize my thoughts there's like 15 going on in my head right now but with with the stress and the pressure of these students do you think a lot of them go into law knowing what it is like you were saying or do you think they get there and they go oh man this this isn't what I thought and then do they just continue to stick it out because is there a sense of like feeling like you failed if you realize that's not what you want to do there? And do you run into that very often? I think. So on the first question, do they, yeah. do they have a sense of what they're going to encounter when they get to law school? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. No, I mean, it's hard because it really <laughs> yeah. is. It's different. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's just a very different environment. Um, and so even those students who come where they have a family of lawyers now the lawyers can say, well, it's going to be tough and blah, blah, blah. Um, until you're here and are, um, you know, sort of immersed in this environment, especially as 1L students with the Socratic dialogue method of learning, right. um, you're not, until you do it, it's sort of like parenthood, maybe, until you do it. <laughs> yeah, you just get thrown people in. People can, you can read the books <laughs> and people can tell you all the stories, but until you do it, you really don't have a sense of how it's going to actually um, impact impact your life. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the second question was. Well, it was do do people do you run into students who accept that oh maybe this wasn't for me and it's easy for them to go or do or they just kind of stick it out and have a miserable time in college? <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for for reminding me because I yeah uh, no worries. It was a terrible way I asked it the first time, so (laughs) gave me time to clarify it. Well, part of this pressure cooker um, is that this is expensive. This is an expensive endeavor. Um, And so, you know, even if you come in with a scholarship, it's an expensive, it's going to, you know, be an expensive endeavor. And so um, I think it's really hard for students, even after they've invested even one year to start thinking about, you know, moving on to something else. Cause it's just, you've, they're you've already on the road. They, they think, right. Like they're already on their journey in a way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that by itself makes it difficult, but also um, I found that students tend to come to law school because they have a really good reason to be in law school. Um, not just because they think, you know, saw it on TV and it looked like a great gig, yeah. Um, but because they're here for a reason. They are here um, because they've suffered an injustice or they, they are aware of injustice. They want to be part of a solution to that. Um, they have, um, you know, they're here because they 
um, have been told and really do have skills that lend themselves very well to advocacy um, and they want to do advocacy. For many, it's been their dream um, to come. Um, for some, it's sort of even been kind of their obligation to come. I mean, I, I've seen that when I taught professional responsibility, I used to ask students to say, why did you come to law school? What, what, you know, what did you hope to accomplish and what do you hope to accomplish? And there are definitely some folks who, you know, the expectation was that they would go on to law school. They would be the person in their family or whatever. So, you know, yeah. so regardless kind of, of where you come from, there's just, there's expectations, but I'm just talking about your expectations. Then there, there's family expectations. Um, you don't want to be letting other people down. You don't want to let yourself down. You don't want to give up your dream. Um, and so I think once you're here, um, you know, it's, what you need to do is, is figure out how to manage this in a way that you don't lose track of yourself, that you stay, that you do stay well, um, that you engage in affirmative wellness activities and that you get the help that you need when you need it. Um, and try to not listen to sort of the negative, you know, check out the rumors, you know, talk to, you know, find folks that you can trust and, and, um, and ask about, about these questions, you know, do I need do I need to get on law review? If I don't get on law review, does that end my every possibility that I can go do what I wanted to do? Um, you know, so being able to to maybe um, question some of the things that you hear um, about when it's about pathways um, and right. anything that ever suggests that if you don't have this, you can't have that. You know, ask you know. Ask a few more questions. About yeah, it's very that. polarizing, you know, looking at it that way. Well, and it's just um, aside. I you know I think students, are, especially our students, they really do support each other, and so they're they're not necessarily kind of climbing over each other to to get to the top, but the internal impact of these, you know, the idea that you need to, you know, you need to do this, and if you didn't make it on law review, that that is going to that's a deal breaker. None what's, of it is a deal breaker. So what's law review? I, I know that might be a silly question, but um, well, a law review is a competitive. Um, it's a basically it's a journal that's published, student published, always supported okay. by the law school. Um, and we have a couple different. We have a law review and we have a journal um, of public policy. But the law journal has always we call it and other law schools. It's sort of their flagship publication. And okay. so you want to get it. You know, um, law review is something that you, if you have it on your resume, um, there are certain employers that'll say, yep, they have the skill set we want. They have the kind of credentialing that we want. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's not, it's not a deal breaker for the vast number of jobs um, in the law. You know, okay. so it's, again, um, you know, there was some studies done by a guy um, whose name is uh, Larry Krieger. He's a professor down in Florida. Um, and he's done a number of studies with a psychologist. Um, I think they're Krieger and Sheldon, if you ever want to want to take a look. Um, but one of the things he did was a happiness study, which actually showed the inverse relationship between high grades, law review, um, you know, big law, uh, big law job and lots of money. And happiness. Wow. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, every so so much of what students, 
come to believe, or at least hear during the process, just doesn't carry, you know, for the long, long term, doesn't bring happiness. Where does, where do those myths come from usually? Or are they just out there? (laughs) Well, back to the beginning. I mean, we, law schools are, are these pools of incredibly accomplished people. Right. And, um, and so there are accomplished people have always figured out what the rules are to succeed. Right. Right. So to get A's in high school, you need to do this. Yep. And to get A's in college, you need to do this. Uh, and to get A's in law school, you need to do this. And then there's these things that you can read about in books like the book 1L about law review and realize, ah, law review, review is something that would give me more options. And so as a overachiever, which all of them are, yeah, there's a natural aspiration to the things that you think are indicators of success. And, um, you know, and are you successful? Yeah. I mean, our, our law review uh, folks, excellent writers. Yes. Do they get an amazing experience on how to run this publication and work with, um, you know, other accomplished writers and, uh, you know, experts around the country? Absolutely. Um, so there are definitely advantages to, to being able to do some of these things. But, you know, our students who are um, in clinics, which most of our students are, um, we have lo- amazing law clinics, lots of experiential opportunities. Um, they're coming out also with skills. And so it's not like you do this if you want to get the skills and then otherwise you're, you, you're not going to get them. It's just deciding how fit and, and what, um, you know, what, what you hope to accomplish. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it reminds me of a, like, I, I was a professional pole vaulter for a bunch of years and it was kind of the, you know, you'd hear about these guys who would, you need to throw up after every single workout or you weren't pushing hard enough. Right. It's, it's almost hey. the same idea. And then, you know, uh, in, <laughs> in my ex phys class, you know, by, by all that stuff, it was like, no, if you're throwing up after everyone, you're actually getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And it took, it it really is. It's like that might have worked or didn't work for those guys. And their whole message might have been just to, hey, just push yourself hard, harder, you know. But if you do it too much, you, you could break. And some people need to push themselves less than others. And what I found was, um, and this, this is, it has nothing to do with law, but it seems to help with the purpose. But when I was... Uh, I was overtraining most of my career. And then when I stopped for like two years and retested myself and just did half of what I was doing, I was actually better than I was. And it was miserable training, which is why I quit being a professional pole vaulter. I didn't look forward to four hour workouts every day and I was being tired and having to watch what I eat and all that stuff. When I could have been doing half, getting higher results and having more time to do what I liked. And that's kind of what it sounds like you're talking about is like there's these ideas and it sounds like what you're doing with your program is just helping rework those ideas to show what what being successful is to that person because it's different for everybody. Am I kind of on track? Yeah. Well, and I don't know that our program is, I mean, I think it's a an, an endeavor that the profession okay. really needs to um, – you know, make sure that wellness is a priority, that, um, you know, that there's this whole range of, 
of wellness components and working on your intellectual self is but one, you know, one part of it, right? right? And yeah. excessiveness, I, I would guess in any of them, you know, eventually um, isn't going to be healthy. But I mean, you, to your analogy, um, that that's exactly right on point to what many students find themselves doing, you know, um, overstudying. Um, and I, you know, there's probably some students who would say, well, there's no such thing as overstudying. Oh, there's like a and point there's of diminishing returns, course. right? Yeah. That's... Right. But there are dim- diminishing returns. And so, yeah. and there's some students who feel like, well, because I um, don't come to buy this naturally, I just need to keep studying. I need to, I need to bring my books with me everywhere I go. I can't stop studying. Um, no, I can't take a break to go see my mentor. Um even though it's an hour and you could just take a walk and go see your mentor for 15 minutes and maybe grab some nutrition on your, on your way back or whatever. I mean, students can sometimes just get in this, this mode where they're just so, um, you know, they're highly motivated, but then they also just have this insecurity. We end up hearing about, um, you know, students feeling like, um, uh, what are they? Um, the imposter. You know, oh yeah. I really, <laughs> you know, I just lucked out that I'm here. I'm not quite sure I really belong here, and I gotta, I gotta do all this extra. When really, you need to take those breaks. You need to make sure you've got the supports around you to to really be be successful in all you do. Because you know, if you emerge from here with excellent grades, but you're, you know, um, you're not having a very good life. That that didn't do you much good on the right. happiness scale. You're not gonna you're not gonna do very well. Yeah. So what what kind of things do you um, maybe at St. Thomas and the profession as a whole? What are they doing to help? I know you you said you had mental health week, but is there programs that people can come to if they feel like they need help, or do you have um, online services or something that people can check out to make sure they're you know doing okay? <laughs> so. Um, so there's two questions there. One is, what is the profession doing and what resources are available? Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, um, and resources, we have, um, we have great resources for, for law students here, here at St. Thomas. We have um, somebody who's a, he's a director of, um, of academic achievement, um, who happens to also um, have a degree in psychology, which is incredibly perfect helpful yeah. <laughs> he's you know he's a go-to person when students are um are, are struggling or have questions about um the academics as well as um as well as personal things and so we have he's in he's here in the building all the time um we also have a dedicated um counselor from our um in the university's counseling and psychological services we have somebody who's right here on the minneapolis campus who's really, I'd say 90% of her time is, is devoted to law students. Wow. Um, and then we have this amazing, a couple other amazing resources, um, but Lawyers Concern for Lawyers is an organization dedicated to helping law students, lawyers, and judges um, with, you know, with wellness, um, mental health, chemical dependency, dealing with stress, dealing with life, you know, yeah. the things that happen in life. And that's um, absolutely confidential. Um, they have peer support, counseling. Uh, they have an arm, you know, that has professional counselors that are available 24-7. Um, so there's, you know, and on a nationwide level, there are those lawyer assistance programs around the country. 
And so, um, so there's definitely help out there. Um, and then that's on top of that, we actually have, you know, especially here in Minnesota, we have places like Mayo and I'll talk about the, the collaboration we have with Mayo, but Mayo has, you know, top of the, you know, state of the art, top of the line, you know, um, wellness, um, yeah. you know, mental health, physical health um, available too. I mean, that's a, you know, you have to have insurance for such things, right. but, <laughs> um, but here we are in Minnesota, the land of, you know, land of 10,000 treatment centers and um, excellent medical facilities. So in terms of resources, there's a lot available. Um, and, you know, and like I said, the lawyer assistance programs around the country are for lawyers, law students, and judges. And so, um, so there's definitely help and there's hope for, for lawyers. The challenge is, um, is reaching out, feeling like it's, a safe, it's safe to reach out. I think this, there's a, a study done not too long ago of lawyers also with very similar results about, um, you, know, you know, lawyers needing help lawyers having high rates of, of depression, um, anxiety, not quite as high as, as the law students, um, and then um, chemical, chemical misuse. Um, but there's a similar um, fear that others will find out if you get help you need and a fear that there might be other professional ramifications. Um, mm. And so the, you can have all the resources you want, but if you're not addressing the, you know, sort of the stigma piece, you're not you know, we're not going to be as successful as we could. And we're going to lose people. We're going yeah. to lose lives. Um, have you, have so, you seen a change over the years? Like with, with the stigma and, and people reaching out? for is, is it going in a positive direction, as you see? I am an optimist. I think it is going in a positive direction. And I think the profession is going in a positive direction, too. Because um, So for many years, I've served on something that was called the Life and the Law Committee. And it always felt a little bit like we're kind of, you know, beating our heads against the wall. Um, and because there wouldn't ever be anybody who'd suggest that these issues we're talking about are not important. Right. But many times they're sort of like, yeah, but they're not law. You know, they're, <laughs> you know, they're important. They're just as important as they are to cab drivers or whatever. You know, we don't need to make them part of our education. Um now across the country, um, at least in Minnesota, you can get credit for continuing education um, that, you know, um, that is on quality of life, balance, wellness. Um, that's a recent addition um, that in many states, there's actually required education on the connection between, um, you know, mental health, um, chemical health and the practice of law. Um, so there's been progress made, but that's an area that, um, you know, we have to, we have to make the point and, and make it happen. Um, you know, there are many states that are, um, are really on top of things. So not only do they have a great lawyer assistance program, but their judiciary um, is um, really making sure that the, um, the bar examiners um, are, you know, the bar examiners and the disciplinary authorities um, are are truly doing things to make sure that um, that law students and lawyers are not, um, you know, um, get be giving these disincentives to get the help that they need. Okay. Um, on the national level, we've just had in the last few years um, 
they they did, had a task force that um, that was on lawyer well-being, um, and it was a task force that had folks from discipline, bar examiners, um, you know, elsewhere in the profession, the judiciary, um, and basically they um, said um, what we need to do is create a culture of wellness in the profession. They identified the different stakeholders, whether they're law schools or um, employers. Um, malpractice insurance carriers, just all these different components of the of the profession, and said, you know, here's the problem. Here, you know, um, for law schools, here are our recommendations for law schools. Here are our recommended recommendations for um, professional liability carriers. All with the idea of encouraging, um, you know, the fact that wellness has to be part of who we are as lawyers. So how are they looking at as wellness as a whole? Is it, is it, um, you know, going to get a, uh, like mental health checkups? Is it physical? Is it, or like doing exercise? Is it work or uh, nutrition? Is it all of the above? Like, how are they looking at wellness as a whole in this? Uh, it's all group? of the above. So okay. um, I think the American mental health association has a, I think they have a chart that has eight components of, Okay, so they're following the American Mental Health Association. Yeah, um, I think that's the one that the that the ABA adopted, and so it has okay. a, a you know spiritual spiritual. spiritual. You're going to pull that out. Of, you're going to pull that out of this. <laughs> uh, you know, um, spiritual, um, you know, vocational, um, physical, mental. You know, all of those components of. Yeah who we are as, as human beings, all components of our wellness. Um, and so they basically have said, you know, we need to, we need to do something and we need to be a lot more affirmative about creating culture, creating a culture of wellness, tying it to competence, which is our number one. Um, you know, we have these rules of professional conduct and rule 1.1 is competence. Okay. Um, and so maintaining competence to, to, to be able to take care of other people, we need to take care of ourselves. And that's a message for a lot of us who've been hitting our head against the wall. It's sort of, it's kind of like, duh. Yeah. But <laughs> to have to have it elevated to something that really is a competency, um, it's a skill, it's a, you know, it's a need is, um, you know, gives me hope. Um, and we've had some, um, you know, I think, on the, for law students, the reason that that report, although it was, you know it was created by the American Bar Association for the profession as a whole, um, one of the things that really gives I can give me hope and give our law students hope is that um, you know they have they asked stakeholders um, to make a pledge, a wellness pledge, to the ABA that they would support as employers and as law schools um, that they would support wellness. Um, making sure that we were nurturing a, cult, a cultural wellness. And, um, you know, law, law schools around the country have signed up, um, made that pledge. We were one of the first here at St. Thomas, always proud of um, whatever we're doing here. But, yeah. um, but, but you know, Dean Vischer um, got on that right away and made a pledge on our behalf um, to, um, to maintain this, this culture of wellness here at the law school. So those efforts that are being done around the country um, are are going to bear some fruit as long as they're you know they're true. We're truly changing culture because the only way to change the culture of 
you know, lawyers tend to think that, you know, um, going out to events where there's alcohol is the way that you deal with your stress. Well, we know that, that that's a whole lot of fun yeah. for the margin recovery and or have a problem. Um, but it's also, it ignores the vast, um, you know, other resources you have to be a well person to yeah. deal with your stress and, and those sorts of things. So, um, so there's definitely some things that are going on here at St. Thomas that have always been, I mean, you were here a number yeah. of years ago before the pledge yeah. and, and, and we were having, you know, our wellness week and we had a bouncy castle. So students could. Yeah, I forgot could, about the bouncy castle. I was in there probably more than I should have been. <laughs> oh yeah. Some could sleep in it. Some could bounce in it. Most of them smiled in it. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, the event that you were involved in to, to sort of bring some happiness some just, you know, there's no competition, although it was sort of like who gets to, you know, who gets to hold on to Hamilton next right. <laughs> was the only competition going on there. Um, but to really be able to experience joy in a, in a setting, any setting is just, it, it's precious, right? And so yeah. um, increasing the, the opportunities to, to have joy, but then and to, to do the hard work, which is to say, you know, um, we need to make time in our classes. Um, we need to um, make sure that in professional responsibility, we are making the connection between, you know, who you are as a professional and, um, you know, and your wellness, how, how able you are to, um, to be able to take care of others. Can we, can we talk about the competency, competency part a little bit? Um, that's, you said it's rule 1.1, 1. 1, yeah. right? So why, what happens if, if, a, if a lawyer isn't, I think that's a cool way to break the stigma in a way is, um, I, I know in our society, and I know I have struggled with this too, is that it almost feels like if you want to be the hero of your story, you have to take some kind of a suffer to help somebody else. Like there's some form of, of like if, if you, uh, you can't feel good about doing a good deed, you know, and I that feel like that's in our society a little bit. And sometimes helping yourself is part of that. Like if I want to help that person, I need to help myself, but there's this conflicting cultural idea that I can't feel good if I'm helping somebody else. There has to be some kind of like suffering behind that. Is, is that, does that, does that exist in that in your field? Do you think where? Well, I I shouldn't have to feel good. There should be have to be hard work, and this this should be hard. I don't know. I mean, I, we're at a mission based institution here at St. Thomas, and so yeah. we we tend to attract law students. Um, you know, like I said, who are here to to make effectuate change, um, and and I would think that's generally true of of most law students. Um, and it was at Hamlin, and it was at at Mitchell that okay. people are here to do good and they don't have any hesitation to, you know, in that there's no guilt involved or, or no feel like, feeling like you're not really doing something, something real. Um, so why do people but, stop helping themselves? I guess that's the question. Like what, where, where's the, where's the resistance there? Do you think? Um, my, my thought is just that, um, well, I suppose there's always some denial that goes on, right? There isn't actually anything wrong with you. But, <laughs> right, but yeah, I, denial's but, always a big yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's more, um, you know, you think you're the only one who's suffering in this way. You don't want to, um, you know, you don't you, you don't want to be the, the person who has, you know, a mental health issue. Well, the reality is so many of us do, 
right? Yeah, I've yeah. called it the skeleton that's in everyone's closet and no one wants to talk about. But right. as soon as you show right. your skeleton, everyone's like, oh, mine looks like this too. And then everyone's pulling their skeleton out. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, we got skeletons and we also, um, you know, I think we're much better just generally at being able to make the connection because everyone knows you're supposed to eat well, right? I mean, yeah. that you're going to be healthier if you eat well. And that you should get you should get some exercise, um, but attending to your your mental health um, is just for whatever reason, um, i.e., stigma. Yeah. It's just different. It's just different because you wouldn't hesitate to say I have a broken broken leg, right? right. Or you know um, I have this condition or that condition. Right. In fact, all the TV. You know, on TV, all kinds of people are telling you what they have and don't have, right? right. And that's okay. Um, but I think it's just hard um, around that that stigma to, um, you know, to, to deal with that. And then to, because you're afraid of the consequences, right? I think that that's a bigger that's a bigger thing. And I think there's just a, um, you know, in an airplane, they tell you um, to put on your own mask first before you help others, right? Um, you know, people wouldn't think of that, right? I mean, the, the child is next to them. They need to take care of the child, right? Well, you can't take care of the child if, if you're gasping for oxygen, right? right? And so I think that's actually just, you know, being selfless comes with it ignoring your needs in a way. So... Um, I get that. That example is perfect because that's what people want to do first is help the child before they help themselves. And I, and that's what I was trying to touch on. And our society kind of has that idea of like help others before you help yourself. And that's almost like, that's why I like that you're talking about this. It need that it almost needs, it needs to be switched around, you know, and, and shown that, and there's been so many good examples so far that that's where the competency lies. Like if you're running at 50% capacity, you're still running at 50% capacity trying to help somebody versus helping somebody at a hundred percent capacity, you know? And right. yeah, it, it, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. That's taken so long and, and that it's a, such a strong stream we're trying to go up, you know? Oh yeah. Well, you just, you don't have, you, you don't have time to take care of yourself, right? I have this to do. I can't, it would be nice. And in fact, I think the many in the profession of law used to say, wouldn't it be nice if we were well, you know, an acknowledgement, we're not very well, um, but that's a nicety, right? We got to take care of our clients. We got to, we got stuff, you know, we got to do. Um, it would be good to be well. But now if the idea is that, you know, you need to be well, or you're really not helping these other people. Right. You know, not helping yourself, you're not going to be effectual in in helping others. So, is there is there a data or a way to measure like um how how well you're doing? Is it is there a way to put a number on that in in law? Like uh, I know that sounds kind of cr- that, that sounds hard to do <laughs> as I'm asking the question, <laughs> but I'm a number guy, so like uh. How many, how many nice cars in your driveway? Yeah, that's, right. That's, yeah. I, think <laughs> I that's mean, the, it, in terms of how many people people. you're helping, you know, or um, how, how I don't know. I, I, I don't know the profession as well as I would like to, but like how fast you can, you know, get get a result or how many cases you can 
move forward? Is there is there a way to measure something like that to, based on how competent you are and see if that number is going up or down versus how, um, how well you're taking care of yourself? I don't know. I think wellness in the law is one of the least studied things. You okay. know, there's no money in it. You know, um, there's we're lucky that we've had two major studies done in the last few years. I mean, that ABA study um, from a couple of years ago, it was the ABA Hazelden study, if you, if you look it up, um, that was the first study that had been done in like 20 some years. I mean, the previous one, at, you know, here in Minnesota had been done at the, you know, the University of Minnesota had, had done one on, on law students. Um, but there just isn't, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of studying that goes on around that. But I, um, one of the things that I think is a optimistic sign is that, um, you know, our bar association and I think most around the country actually keep track of um, the volunteer hours that lawyers put in. Okay. Um, so we're not, as lawyers, we're not required to, to do um, to do pro bono work, we are um, encouraged to do that. Um, there's actually a you know um, a suggested number of hours per year that um, that lawyers should do. Um, but then there's these recognition programs that actually recognize those lawyers who go above and beyond hmm. um, in doing that. And so there's a celebration of that um, of the pro bono. But there's just also the law is a it's a service profession. I mean, like, um, you know, like clergy, like medicine, um, you go to law school because you're going to be serving somebody else. Um, and, you know, so that I think that's just that's natural. You know, serving yourself just needs to be elevated a little bit more yeah. um, as a as a, you know, in order to be able to to truly serve at your best. Oh, I got, this is kind of a, an impo- maybe it's an impossible question, but if you have a magic wand, what would you do to the profession like today? If you could just wave <laughs> it around, what would you, mm. what would you like to magically change? <laughs> um, that's, that's a good one. I mean, it's hard. It, um, I mean, I think as close to a magic wand, um, I think the, the idea a recognition that we need to change culture. Um, what I would do, I mean, that I think that's what we need. And I think the ABA task force that did that got it totally right. Their approach is reasonable. What we now need um, is for me um, or other people to wave their wands and make the change happen. Um, because, I mean, there have been all kinds of studies, not just in this area, but others, um, you know, about glass ceilings and about um, racial disparities in in policing. These are not new concepts, right? No, right. We have this tendency to, you know, we do the study, we identify the problem, um, identifying solutions. Sometimes we do that. Um, but the implementation, we get kind of bogged down in the implementation. And I think, um, you know, so my magic wand would just allow us to implement those um, those recommendations and truly change the change the culture. The realistic part of it is there's certain aspects of the, of what we do as lawyers that are kind of hard to change. Like, you know, we do billable hours, and um, there's no denying that if you want to, um, you know, make a lot of money in the law, you're gonna 
you need to you need to produce right right um and so you need to it everything always needs to be kind of weighed you know we need to to think about the reality because you can't have you know a, a culture of wellness doesn't mean that um that we can all just work part time well we could if we wanted to right but the law firms wouldn't wouldn't be able to to function if you know with people kind of on half time the way they do now i mean they just there's a there's a price to be paid um there's work that has to that has to be done um and figuring out where is the where is the balance how do you take care of yourself in a way that you can be productive be happy in what you're doing because lawyers aren't all happy um <laughs> Um, and be, you know, be successful in every way that, that one can define success. Right. How do you um, so define, how do, how do you define success for, for yourself? <laughs> I think we should talk about practical things like, what are the wonderful <laughs> things that St. Thomas is doing? Um, <laughs> we can, if you want. <laughs> we'll definitely we need to turn to that because there's some pretty cool initiatives. Yeah, let's do that. At St. Thomas. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think success is ultimately you need to to make sure that you're taking care of who you need to be you um, and to be the best you that that you can be. And um, so I I asked that question because um, your term of success from we've talked a little bit before this, that's what you're doing with St. Thomas right now is trying to help people be successful, you know, in, mm -hmm. in their eyes. And so, yeah, I know it felt like maybe a left left field question, but. It, I just, I just, I love that question for the sheer fact that you are doing that in, in your job right now or, or what, what you're doing. And every time I've talked to you, it just screams passion for these students that, that you're around all the time. And, and, uh, that bleeds off on me and it, and it like fills me up with like excitement too. So yeah, let's, let's talk about some of the Makes things you that, want to go to law school, huh? I mean, I think my it's school days are I over. Grad school know. is enough for me. <laughs> but uh, it, it definitely makes me want to like talk to people like you. And that's why I like doing this right now. But um, yeah, what, what kind of things are you doing and is St. Thomas doing to help law students be success successful at St. Thomas? Okay. Well, one of our, um, one of the components of our, our wellness here is definitely a big component is our uh, student organizations are very strong here at St. Thomas, um, and um, we have a student organization that's dedicated to wellness. It's called Wellness in Practice. Um, students, um, some students came came to me a number of years ago um, because they had LCL had come and talked in their um, professional responsibility class, and this particular student was a 3L and said, "I can't believe this is the first I've heard these stats. I, you know, the stats that I that I gave you." Yeah of, you know, two to three times that of the general population on all these scales that we should be worried about. Um, Do you think they and, should know that before they get into law school? Or is that... Who's going to tell them that? <laughs> or maybe day one, right? When they're already in law school. Yeah. But. Well, I mean, that's, that's another question. But one of the things that the Life and Law Committee developed was something, it was actually a brochure. I know it's kind of old fashioned these days, but um, it's called Are You Fit to Practice? And the idea was that we would um, get that out, um, get it through like the pre-law advisors and others so that students had a chance to think about, 
where they were, how the, you know how they were doing, um, whether this is a good time to to to, to jump into law school or not, um, and to know that there are you know that this environment um, can be can be stressful. Yeah. Um, and it actually it's been adopted that brochure um, has been adopted around the country mainly by lawyer assistance programs because okay. they don't have their they invest in wellness, you know, wellness of, of lawyers and law students. It's really, it's a really hard um, for an admissions office, for example, um, to, to say, deter All right, people from coming. Give to us school. a thousand <laughs> of these brochures and we'll get them right out. Right. Um, I mean, it, but um, because I think you need to be, maybe that's a little too much, too much in your face, but um, that's why this, the beauty of this change the culture and if you are, if you're making a pledge for wellness to have a well culture, it's going to be reflected in all you do. And so it is going to be reflected in, in admissions as a positive, as a, you know, we seriously, we take seriously the wellness of our students. Right. Um, and, um, and students need to know that that's being well, staying well and getting the help that you need is part of who you need to be as a, as a law student. Um, and so, um, so that, you know, that's one thing that, um, I mean, here at St. Thomas, we do, we have a wellness page that's outward facing that um, essentially shows students that wellness is a part of what we, what we do here at St. Thomas. It, it lets them know that there's, you know, the individual I identified before, Scott Swanson here in our environment, mm -hmm. who supports um, law student wellness and is there to, to help students. We have the wellness and in practice initiative, which is listed there too. Um, but then we have an internal, internal um, intranet um, that our students can access that has a lot of a lot of good information about wellness as well. And so, um, so resources wise, you know, I think we've got some great resources for students. And has um, that been there since you've been there, or, or when when did all this the the wellness side of it at St. Thomas start to be developed? Um, I don't think we had a wellness page. We had Scott Swanson, the director of academic achievement. He's always had a help helping students page. Yeah. Um, and okay. so I think it kind of grew from there. And, you know, um, things were added to that, like lawyers concerned for lawyers and the ABA link and, and some other things. And um, our University of St. Thomas counselor, um, they've always had counseling at at the university, um, but you know, it was probably four years ago now that um, that the university um, agreed to to have a counselor here, um, and that came out of law students being willing to say, in response to a survey um, that that wellness and practice did, um, say we need you know we need to have services available to us. Okay. Um, and so that's something that I've I've seen come come to fruition in the last few years. Um, you know, we've added we've had um, lawyers concerned for lawyers has somebody um, um, who goes to all the law schools and offers. Um, you know, he's not giving he's not doing counseling, um, yeah. but he's doing triage. Um, he's here to help students. You know, students say, "I'm feeling this. Should I be worried?" my friend is doing this, should, you know, can I help um, kind of doing, um, doing triage. And so, you know, all of those things have been sort of increasing. And I think one of the reasons is that 
this, you know, these students decided we're going to have an organization. We don't want it to be third year that we finally find out um, about right. this. We really do want to have an organization that um, offers resources, um, has some peer support, pretty, you know, um, they want to be there for their, for their fellow students. And so, um, so I would credit the creation of that student organization as a pretty pr pivotal, pivotal point in, um, in our law schools, um, kind of upping the ante a little bit. Um, okay. You know, having, you know, mental health week didn't happen, wasn't happening right. um, before they came around because it requires, you know, law school isn't, you know, um, we don't have all kinds of people running around who've got like extra, extra time. We've got amazing yeah. amounts of passion. Everyone is here to help law students succeed, to help them sort of carry away their, their bag of skills, to live their passions here. Um, but, you know, we, we don't have a dean of students who would normally be the person in a law school who's sort of just dedicated to, to student wellness because we've it's been distributed among a number of different people, okay. you know, our director of academic achievement, et cetera. But having a, a group of students who have the interest, motivation, and the attention of students has been key because I think administration can say whatever they want, but I think there's a lot of credibility to, um, to what other students are saying. So, Especially your peers. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it sounds like a lot, I'm, a lot of what we've been talking about is, like, uh, I mean, if, if the peer groups, if we were talking about that skeleton analogy that we were using before, that there's a skeleton in everyone's closet, if you have a group of peers who are doing the exact same thing you're doing, who are all talking about the same issues that they might be going through, it just sounds, it's, it, to me, it sounds beautiful that if you can have these people, and I don't want to call them leadership roles, because like, it almost feels equal, you know, like that whole group, but allowing them to talk about it keeps the conversation going and it i know it's slow process but it it feels like like building a, a giant snowball right someone's got to start it and it's always harder at the beginning but once it starts rolling hopefully that culture you keep talking about just keeps growing you know and that's what that's why i really wanted to talk to you and this is why this has been really great because it sounds like you're building a giant snowball <laughs> you know so to say well and the snowball got, so when the dean um, made the wellness pledge, um, the snowball, you know, picked up a little bit more because yeah. um, the dean appointed a wellness committee. Um, and it's now, we have, this is the second year of the wellness committee, but it's a faculty, staff, um, and then there's a student representative on that as well. Um, and, you know, we're looking into, you know, basically all of these things that we're, we're talking about, how to make resources available, how best to communicate um, with students. But what I think one of the, I, the biggest things that has come out of this wellness committee is a collaboration with Mayo. Okay. Um, and I wanted to talk, make sure I talked about that because that's yeah, sort of, our, let's do that. That's our um, kind of our crown jewel. Um, you know, it's, it was put together um, last year. Um, Dean Lisa Brabbit has forged a relationship with the folks at Mayo um, to really put together something that sounds an awful lot like a wellness, you know, um, you know, the pillars of, of wellness. Um, so Mayo actually focuses on, on four pillars of, of wellness, mindset and mental health, nutrition, movement, and then recovery or resilience. And so, 
so they've built this this program, um, and this is the the Mayo Sports Performance Well Wellness Program. We're so okay. fortunate that Mayo is downtown here, um, and that they have the sports performance um, clinic. That you know, I mean, they treat professional athletes, but they also treat you know um, just regular regular folks too. But um, we've collaborated with them to put together some programming around these four pillars. Um, we have an incredible amount of expertise that comes out of Mayo. Um, you know, we have a couple doctors and um, three folks who are sports performance prof- professionals, specialists, sorry, uh, professionals. That's a combination of the word professional and specialist. It's too much. Professional, yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, so, so having this, this amazing relationship with Mayo, um, you know, students listen to other students, but students also, everyone knows what Mayo is. Everyone, yeah. you know, in any yeah, country in the world knows what Mayo is. And so to have this a collaboration um, and the visibility that it brings and the expertise that it brings is tremendous. And so they started by putting on these Wellness Wednesday presentations, okay, which not only has a, a nice ring to it, um, but they were incredibly um, good programming um that students could come and learn things like, you know, wellness hacks, what about sleep, your immune system, um, you know, and, and, and those sorts of things, which were great um, before the pandemic. Um, yeah. It's a little harder now. I mean, and, yeah. then, and then this pandemic tsunami hit, right. uh, which kind of changed things a little bit. And we're not hanging around in, in rooms together, eating our lunch and and, and going to these programs. So that's a little more difficult, but those are still still continuing. We're having um, virtual programs. There was also weekly, um, so those Wednesday programs happen about once a month. Um, okay. But then we also had these weekly things that were called Tuesday tune-ups that were sort of quick quick and easy. Um, you know, there was one about hydration, for example. Um, that's just like, here's some facts. Here's what you need to know. Here's what we encourage you to do. Um, a great way to, to sort of eat your lunch while you're you know, watching this, um, this video and be able to, or watching this program, but be able to interact as well. And so I, I bet lawyer, these students love it because they're like, I'm already eating. I might as well make this even take this to another level in a way, help myself right. out. Mentally. Well, it's just, it's, it's a convenient way. You know, we've always yeah. had, you know, the half hour between noon and 1230 have always been protected time where meetings aren't scheduled. Um, so we've always had kind of a built-in sort of wellness incentive. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, scheduling at 1230 after folks have had their, their little, you know, had a break um, to, to actually focus on, focus on these wellness, um, wellness tips and um, have been incredibly helpful. But then there's also challenges. We did a last semester, we did a, um, a step challenge. And, you know, we've talked about competition, right? Yeah. <laughs> law students and lawyers are very competitive. So if yep. you set up a bike ride for, for law students and lawyers, um, even though it has nothing to do with finishing time, you're going to have a group of lawyers who are out, right. want to be the first at the rest stops <laughs> and who want to be the first to finish, right? Yeah. Because, and so, um, you know, so appealing to that sort of healthy, healthy competition um, we had the step challenge and it was very well received faculty, staff and students, um, you know, walking, um, what was it? 10,000. Uh, the idea was that you're going to try to put in 10,000 steps a day. 
Yeah. Um, okay. And, you know, there were groups that named themselves silly things and, you know, and did it together. Um, there were individuals who, um, who did it on their own. Um, and it was just a really successful way to, to have people focus on their wellness every single day. Right. Um, Cause it's kind of hard to say, I don't have time to do that when you signed up for it. And it's um, already in the schedule. Yeah. And we had an app, uh, you know, app on our phones that was telling us exactly where we were and where everybody else was. Um, it was great. And so there's another one of those coming. Um, it's going to be launched shortly. There'll be another challenge. Um, they okay. got feedback on it and they're going to, I'm sure, um, make it even, even more awesome. And so um, aside from these programming pieces, the, um, the wellness Wednesdays, the, um, the tune-up, because we now call it Tommy tune-up. We don't do it on Tuesdays. We just do it weekly. Okay. Uh, but there's information that's coming out to students in a publication that students, faculty, and staff receive every Monday about wellness. That's new. You know, we didn't have that going before we had a wellness committee. Um, they hear about this Mayo, um, you know, the Mayo programming. Um, and then every week, in, again, in that publication that goes out on Mondays, all the resources in terms of, you know, the Counseling Center, um, Scott Swanson, um, Chase Anderson, who is our LCL um, person. Um, so we're really kind of, you know, we're trying to figure out how do we best reach um, faculty, staff, and students and um, and make sure that we truly are integrating wellness in into all that we do. Um, yeah. And we have a committee that's keeping an eye on it, reporting to the dean. Um, we report back to the ABA every year, actually. Okay. I mean, I, so I think it provides much hope that um, we can do everything that we can to change the culture of of the legal profession, you know, one segment at a time. So here in the law school. Um, you know, we want it, We want our students to be well. We want them to be able to get the help that they need when they need it and know that they're not going to be at any sort of a disadvantage for, for being well. Yeah. Are, are you guys doing anything to measure like how many people are using the apps or opening the emails or something like that compared to maybe like what was going on in the past? If you can see that there is a trend that the culture is changing and growing or is it just kind of noticing how many people are coming into the office and... Well, you know, I think it's, it's relying on, on how many people are, you know, coming into anyone's office okay. isn't necessarily, I mean, it's, it would be but one criteria, right? Because right, exactly. what we're doing is saying help is available in lots of different places. And we right. don't care which one you take advantage of, whichever one you're comfortable with. I, that limits our ability to sort of get stats right, yeah, yeah. from that. But I know, you know, um, we have a, an, an Instagram feed, we have a, um, and we have a, a Facebook feed. And, you know, part of what we do these days is we are actually, we, we do wellness, um, wellness activities are being publicized in that way. So it's not just here in the law school, it's going out into a broader audience. Okay. Um, I mean, we know that folks, folks see those things, but, um, you know, we don't have, can you tell if somebody opens emails? Probably. Do we pay attention? Right. I don't know. Um, but I think what we do rely on is, um, you know, well, we're fairly small. I mean, we have, you know, uh, 460 students. We have, um, you know, and then faculty and staff. I guess I don't know the numbers. 
60, whatever. Yeah. Um, not very, we're not very big. Um, but I, we can rely on, you know, just kind of word of mouth, finding out, do students read this publication that we call the docket? Um, many do, many don't, which is why you have a multi, multi-faceted approach and you just right. you try to make sure that, that you make it easy for them to find these things. So the wellness, um, you know, the tune, the Tommy tune up was um, at the bottom or, I mean, at the top of the, the docket this week. Right. Okay. Um, and so you make it easy for people to see, you don't require them to do a lot of linking around um, and you don't shove it at the bottom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you to see it or you make sure there's enough uh, good stuff that they should keep, they should keep on, keep on reading. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. That's not, I love that. Like it, it wasn't there the last time I talked to you and I, I don't, it, it gives me hope. And Judy, I just want to say you're the best. <laughs> every, every, every time I talk to you, I always like leave refreshed, like, Oh, something there's, there's change. And, um, before we go, can I just ask you one more question? And I know we're getting towards uh, 90 minutes here. Um, wow. but f- from, from a, from a stigma standpoint, what do you feel is uh, the the number one thing that maybe people can do, whether it's in the law profession or um, just anybody to kind of help help with the stigma? Um, be willing to be vulnerable yourself and tell your story. And I saw um, two examples of this. Just last week, we have a, a publication that one of our local bar association puts out, the Hennepin County Lawyer, and there were two separate stories in it um, of lawyers. One was about balance, um, how, to, um, how this particular lawyer found balance, um, not just during the pandemic, but just in general, because um, we're billable hour people, right? And mm-hmm. you get into the setting and you, you're always comparing you know, how much work you could accomplish versus uh, what you, how you would benefit by taking an hour off. Um, and one of these articles was just said, basically did that, um, you know, did that analysis and, and ultimately concluded that, um, that as much as she's an overachiever, that hour was better spent um, taking care of herself, which was just incredible. I mean, yeah. So for a student to actually read that, um, I mean, there might still be some folks who say, eh, well, you got to get your billable hours in. Um, but I think that was good. And then this other lawyer actually shared not just tips on what she did during a pandemic, not to, um, you know, to go stir crazy in, in her house. Um, so there were like these travel tips, but there was also her, um, she described her experience with, um, with getting mental health assistance by seeing a counselor. She provided some tips on choosing a counselor. Um, you know, these are not typical, um, these are not things that I have seen very often written by members, just members of the profession, um, especially young lawyers. Um, they're both newer lawyers, um, willing to tell their story. And I, I wrote to both of them. I sent emails to both of them and just said, thank you so much for sharing your story. You can't imagine what that means to the law student who's thinking, it's just me. It's, you know, there's something wrong with me. 
Um, and I really don't want to be telling anybody about that. You know, right. I want to keep that to myself. Um, and so, you know, the, for this lawyer to, to talk about, um, you know, needing, needing some assistance with, with her mental health and getting it um, and her actual experience, you just, you don't see that very much. And so that's what it takes. It, it, it takes being willing to, to share your, share your story. And it shouldn't just be the folks who are in the lawyer assistance program because they've always been doing it, right? right. <laughs> right. Um, it should be, you know, others who are just, you know, telling, you know, telling their stories so that we all know that, um, you know, you're not the only one who feels this way and there is help. There is hope. That's perfect. I think you nailed it. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it is my passion. You know, no, we didn't you, talk you about my see. program, which is the mentor program, but. That's oh, okay. I'm That's so okay. sorry. I mean, no, is I'm is there okay. any way if people want to contact you? Um, um, is is there? Are you on social media or anything like that? If if people um, want to, if people want to contact me, I'm pretty easy to find right here on the University of Saint Thomas um, website. Okay. Um, they can I'll, find me there. I'll put it down in the show notes too. If if people yeah. have any questions about um, the other things you're doing, that's changing the conversation on mental health, which it, it is. And, um, Judy, I just want to thank you again. This has been wonderful. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And it's not my fight. I'm just, uh, I'm in here with others. Oh, I love Judith Rush. She's the best. Uh, guys, as always, if you feel like you're in a dark spot and need some help, head over to onewholelifemedia.com and there's a list, a link of tons of resources to help you get the help you need and if you're still struggling to find the help you need uh, let me know and i will do everything within my power to point you in the right direction if you want to support this channel also at onewholelifemedia.com we have a patreon we have clothing we have little mental health reminders we, we have all sorts of stuff to help support this and if you have any another idea of how you would like to help uh with this project let me know i'd love to hear from you uh, as always with all these podcasts uh, links to the guests are in the description or the show notes below. Uh, and so check that out. This was a fun one. If you have any idea for any other guests for me, let me know. I'm, I'm all ears. I would love to hear from you. So uh, with that said, all, as always, life is meant to be experienced and curiosity will get you there. I will see you in the next one. <laughs>